Pray, Lord, would you speak into our lives, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord. You don't want us to ever to be the same at the end of any day, Lord. Could there be something here for us, Lord? Give us ears to hear, Lord, and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do sit down. Lovely to see everybody. Um, we're going to uh, just have a, a look at a, a, another aspect of the kingdom of God. Um, and we're going to look at the keys of the kingdom. And um, the reason that I wanted to do this particular passage that we're going to do, which is in Acts 10, was uh, sitting here last Sunday evening. We had Mike Betts and we had one of our deeper um, uh, uh, evenings where we could kind of go deeper in things of God. And I was sitting there. Um, I felt God remind me of a picture in Acts 10 of a great big white sheet uh, that was lowered down from heaven in a vision that Peter had. And uh, the, the, it was then filled with animals, and God was asking him to kill and eat the animals. Very strange vision. Um, and the, the, the meaning in that really was something that God had to deal with in, um, in Peter before he could pour out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And so I wanted to just share around that passage. Um, so when we get to that bit, just think. God, is there something in here? Is there something in me that you want to change? Because we're all being changed, aren't we, all the time. But the context of it is in the, the keys of the kingdom, which is our second to last talk on the kingdom of God before we uh, get into Christmas. And Paul, in a couple of weeks' time, is doing a talk on Advent, and I'm very excited about that. Heralding Christmas, Paul will be Santa's first elf. Okay, um, so just to recap, there's a picture here of a statue, um, and uh, this is a vision that Daniel had in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 2, and um, it was symbolic of the kingdom of God all the way through time. It's quite remarkable. The book of Daniel is one of those book, books that is contested, particularly by atheistic um, scholars, um, because it is so accurate to actually what happened in terms of the empires that people think it can't have been written at that time, which is about 500 years uh, BC. Um, but in it, it's a picture of a head of gold, which was um, uh, the, ki- the king of the time, the king of Babylon. The next lot of uh, the next empire was the Medes and the Persians. The chest of the, and arms of silver, and then there was the belly, or the stomach and thighs of bronze, um, which people work out was the kingdom of ancient Greece, simply because it came afterwards. And then after that came the Roman Empire, uh, the legs of iron, and. Um, It says in Daniel 2.44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so it's saying that these are the empires of the world that are going to come. God was showing Daniel. But there's going to be another kingdom set up during the time of these kings that will never be destroyed. And we find out a little bit about that in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, where Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
How many of here claim to be, us here claim to be in the kingdom of God? Yeah. Well, the least of us is greater than John the Baptist. How could that possibly be? Because we have Jesus in us. That is why. And so something was starting, a new phase of the kingdom of God was starting uh, at the time of Jesus. And if we flip back to that picture of the statue, um, there's a, a rock here. And it says that that rock, it says in Daniel 2, uh, will smash the feet of the statue and then fill the whole earth. And it's talking about the kingdom of Jesus that will never be destroyed. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we don't know how it's all going to end, but we do know that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords in Revelation, that everything becomes subject to his feet, and there is nothing in the end that will not be subject to him. And right at the end, the Bible tells us that he takes, having brought everything, including death and Hades, under his feet, he hands the whole thing back to the Father. and like to say, I've done it. It's yours. Amazing. The kingdom of God is such an amazing theme of the Bible. It's so huge. And in Matthew 21, 43, it says the kingdom of God should be taken from you, and he's talking to the Jews here, and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And that nation is what in the Bible is described as the holy nation, the royal priesthood, which again is us. It's the church. It's Jew and Gentile together. Um, the kingdom was taken out of being just for the Jews and opened up to the whole world, which was always God's intention because God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And when God blessed Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be the father of many nations. And I'll bless you and you're going to be a blessing. So God's plan was always this, but it took a big step forward in Jesus. Some of us are very um, uh, kind of upset, confused, um, yeah, perplexed really by what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Um, We just look at the news and I just think, how ever... Could anybody solve this problem? Particularly since everyone's jumping on one side or the other. People aren't listening to each other. Um, what could possibly be the solution? And honestly, I think that the only solution um, is in the church, in the body of Christ, uh, where Jew and Gentile are together, where there is forgiveness, where there is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and mercy and all these things that will deal with the terrible, um, uh, the, the terrible historic pain and hatred and everything else involved. Only Jesus could deal with that. Um, and uh, Steph at Re- Revelation Church, Steph Liston, I was reading something that he wrote about this for people who are saying, what's going on in the Middle East? And I just took one phrase, which I found quite helpful, if you can find it there. And Steph put it in his little paper, that we believe that only the gospel and the people of the gospel, Christ's body, one new man in Jesus, have any chance of bringing deep healing and life into this awful situation. 
The church is the only hope for the world. I truly believe it. And we've seen it in history. In this church during the Wesleyan revival, in this country, in the Wesleyan revival, um, the nation was, people say, was saved from the French Revolution, um, from what happened there, just because the gospel was preached. And over the period of time, sorry, not there. And over a period of time of the preaching of the gospel over many, many years, um, and so many people being converted, society was turned around, um, and there was, uh, you know, there was peace. And it was a remarkable thing, but it was the gospel that did it. I want to talk this morning about two people, Peter and Cornelius, two very different people. Matthew 16 says this, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying here, I'm going to give to you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What's so special about Peter? What what I like about Peter is that he messes up a few times, which gives us all hope, doesn't it? Um, But he's there, and Jesus said, you are Peter. His name means little rock or stone. And on this rock, which some would say is the revelation that Jesus is speaking of here, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And some people would say, that Peter was given two keys to the kingdom of heaven. And one was on the day of Pentecost when he opened the gospel to the Jews. Acts 2.14, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he explained the day of Pentecost. He explained the gospel. He told them that Jesus had died for their sins. And if they believed in him, they would be saved. And thousands were converted that day. And there was a massive opening of that door with that key that he had. And I want to just talk for the rest of this morning about the second key, which was the key that was given to Peter again for the Gentiles. So the other person I want to mention is Cornelius. Um, Cornelius was completely different to Peter. So we've got Peter the fisherman. And, uh, the, the impetuous fisherman. And we've got Cornelius, who was the Roman centurion, who was Italian. Um, he lived in this place called Caesarea. I've got a picture of Caesarea here. Um, and that's what it was like at that time. Um, and I don't know whether you can actually read this, but it's got all the things that you'd find in a Roman town. An aqueduct where they, the water, uh, system, a forum where they would have their big discussions. Um, there was a hippodrome, which I think means there lots of horses trotting around. Um, and then there was a temple of Augustus. So there was an actual temple to Caesar there. So you can imagine what an inhospitable environment that was for someone like Peter, the Jewish fisherman, and how inadequate he might have felt in taking the gospel uh, to that place. So that's where um, Cornelius came from, and that's where this thing I'm going to talk about happened. So Cornelius, it says, and this is the wonderful thing about Cornelius, and, and really if we're going to be used by God, we need, we will need to develop this kind of character, characteristics. He was a devout man. That means that he was a godly man. He walked with God. 
He feared God. That means that he obeyed God with all his household. So that would have been his kids, uh, the soldiers, the servants in his household. They all feared God. Something had happened in Cornelius that affected them. He gave alms generously. That means he gave to the poor people. So he would have given to the people of Israel um, uh, the, the, the money that he was getting as a Roman centurion, as a, as, a, as a military leader. He gave generously to the people. And most of all, he prayed continually. I really like that. Um, uh, you could say that means he prayed all the time, or he just prayed consistently. But he was a man who was praying even before this experience that we're about to see happened. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision. I'm going to just read some scripture this morning, because the story is so good and so concise, it just speaks for itself. And just pick up some of the things, this amazing story. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms, your giving, have ascended as a memorial before God. So God has heard this Gentile man's prayers, and he's watched his sincere giving. Um, It's gone up to God. It's gone up into God's ears. And he says to him, now send men to Joppa. And that's now what we would call Jaffa uh, in Israel. And bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with another Simon, who is a tanner. That's a guy who, I think, sorts out kind of leather work, um, whose house is by the sea. So go and find Simon the tanner's house by the sea, and there's a guy there called Peter. Go and get him. And so he goes. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, so they're on their way from Caesarea, this this party to go and get Peter. And then Peter, it says, he went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. A long time ago, when I was a child, um, I remember, and it wasn't even in my generation, a song being written, I think by Noel Coward, called Mad Dogs and Englishmen, Go Out in the Midday Sun. Anybody else remember that one? Uh, one or two, I... Yeah. And, um, yeah. So he's going out in the midday sun. That's what this is. Um, about the, what hour was it? The sixth hour. Yeah. That was midday. And there were three times that the Jews used to pray. They used to pray at nine o'clock, the third hour, midday, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. They had prayer times. And so Paul, uh, sorry, rather Peter regulated his prayer. He had times when he would pray. And whether the sun was beating down on that roof, it was probably the only quiet place in the house. He went to be with God. So something had happened to Peter on the day of Pentecost. This timid man, he's in this place called Joppa. And if you read the previous chapter of Acts, he's just healed, raised Dorcas from the dead. So in his prayer time, he's listening to God. He's communing with God. Something beautiful is happening to him. He's getting faith. Uh, He's moving in in miracles as he is with God. It's not a religious thing he's doing as he's spending time with God. So while he's up there, it says he becomes hungry because it's midday. He wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like this great sheet I was talking about descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. 
The number four in the Bible is often associated with universality. In other words, like the four winds blowing, you know, north, south, east, and west. So there's something about this sheet that has to do with everything. Um, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So there are probably snakes and lizards and birds. No wonder he didn't want to eat it. And then it says, uh, a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. That's a bit of a key uh, uh, phrase in, 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 in what I'd like to say this morning. What God has made clean, we mustn't call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So this is before the, this, this Gentile Pentecost we're going to read about. So something had to happen to Peter before this could happen. And uh, as I was meditating on this last Sunday evening, I wonder whether God wasn't kind of indicating really that he wants to reach through the church in Bassett Street all sorts of people. And people that we might not normally want to be with, eat with, mix with. And he needs to, wants to enlarge our hearts. Um, I do believe in the church here that God has uh, put lots of love. And I really want to encourage people. Uh, it's been really exciting recently watching uh, uh, some lives being changed, individual lives, people coming to faith in the church. Um, but as I was thinking about this uh, this morning, actually, I just thought in all those cases... You've got people who are really loving, people who are going to hospital and visiting people, people who are making food, people who are praying, but a number of people with lots of love prepared to give up their own time for those people that Jesus is drawing in to his kingdom. And God wants to enlarge our hearts, I believe. But for Peter, something had to change. And one of the things that had to change was his thinking, even his doctrine, because he had been taught that you don't mix with Gentiles. And that was absolutely ingrained in his thinking. But also there are wrong attitudes as well. I don't know what wrong attitudes he had. He did definitely have some wrong attitudes. Um, but I just thought I'd jot down some of the things maybe I've struggled with or we struggle with um, that are the things that actually would stop us communicating with other people. I went last night. Uh, I had a lovely evening. I'd been invited to, to, uh, or at least I got together with my cousins, um, and some of them were uh, non-Christian, uh, completely non-Christian. One of my cousins told me, you know, I, you know, that's really interesting, but I don't believe in God, um, and um, I, I was a bit nervous about it because actually, uh, between us. Uh, I, I, it's a long time since I've talked to some of them. And so I'm thinking, what are they going to think of me? Um, what do I say? Um, but I just thought, I'm just going to go and love them. And we'll just have a lovely time. And if God, God, I, could you just open a door for the gospel? I'm, I'm, I'm willing 
If you open the door, I'm willing to, to step through it if you give me the power. And as it happened, I was talking to this, uh, this particular guy and uh, ended up sharing Ella's testimony because uh, he had a terrible, sudden, uh, life-threatening illness. And so it was very relevant. So I just let him know that miracles do happen. Um, and that was sort of really exciting. But actually... Um, I just had to make sure that my attitude to everybody was right. If I had like some of the things that go on in families, uh, some of the family history uh, and that, that kind of builds up, I wouldn't have been in a place even to be there, let alone talk about Jesus in some way. So he had a problem with wrong teaching. And sometimes, you know, God wants to correct our teaching. Um, people groups, um, and I'm not uh, just talking about uh, racism here. It's interesting in Revelation, it talks about people of every nation and people and tongue and tribe, um, which shows how diverse our people groups are. Um, and it's very, very complicated, isn't it? And all through our lives, we're going to be meeting different people, particularly in London. But the main thing is that God wants us to be loving and reaching out to everybody without exception. And anything in our hearts and minds, he wants to purify and, uh, and, and take away. The fear of man, this is what Peter suffered on later uh, uh, in his life, and we'll come to that later, where he was worried about what people thought. So he didn't join people because he was worried what the other people would say. Bad experiences. Um, a, a, a few years ago, there was a guy in our street. My car started to leak petrol. And uh, I think this guy was afraid that it was going to blow up his house. Maybe it could have done. Um, but it was a very strange thing. So I had to get somebody to come and sort that out. And the guy uh, was a bit slow. And so this guy said to me, the neighbor said to me, why don't you get him to hurry up? He's a nothing. He's nothing. And I was really, <laughs> I was really upset by that. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I wanted, I wanted to say to him, you're nothing. <laughs> But the trouble was, I went, <laughs> I went away with that feeling in my heart that he was nothing. And so, uh, even though, to start with, I'd seen right and he'd seen wrong, I went away with something. So whenever I saw that neighbor walking down the street, I didn't want to talk to him. I looked the other way. I completely judged him. And then I felt like God was dealing with me over it and think, okay, Nick, here we go. Yes, Lord, give me the grace. So now when I see him, Hello. <laughs> and he never answers me back. He never says hello back. But that's not my job. It's unilateral. I've got to make sure my heart is right. And it's those things, bad experiences, that actually close our heart, don't they? Um, and if I, maybe God wanted him to come to Alpha one day. But if I was in a place where I wasn't even talking to him, how would that be possible? Um, family, um, uh, in my own family, recently I heard about a family feud where three of the family weren't talking to each other for several years. And thank God they're now talking to each other. But these, these things happen, don't they? And God doesn't want them. Um, I've, I've mentioned employers, employees, football teams. Patrick was here uh, in the in the first meeting. We laugh about you know the Liverpool shirt and the Arsenal shirt and whatever. And we can have a laugh in church, can't we? Actually, sometimes it's more serious than that. I'm not going to talk to that person. Um, and uh, 
they're just little things that build up in our hearts. Uh, gender uh, I- issues, church leaders. Um, you know that sometimes in in church people get hurt including by church leaders, as well as church leaders getting hurt too. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something we just have to continually deal with, isn't it? Our hearts. Um, denominations. You know, some people have, have a bad experience in a certain denomination, and so they feel badly towards that denomination. And sometimes it takes years to get over that. But God is working all the time in our hearts. I don't know if you identify with any of that, but I just thought I'd kind of mention it. And now I want to mention Jesus. John 4, 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. So here's this woman who's a Samaritan woman who the Jews hated, and Jesus is cutting right through every racial, gender, cultural thing just because he wants to reach her. And he was the expert, wasn't he? Um, and uh, as a result of that, um, he, he tells her about the Holy Spirit. She is, is uh, saved. She tells all the guys in the town. And then uh, there's a revival in Samaria later in Acts, probably as a result of that conversation that Jesus had with her. But he was the master at cutting through all that because his heart was perfect. And Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Sinners, tax collectors, they, they, they went to him. They were drawn to Jesus. They want, there was something about him, even though he was completely holy, that they were drawn by the warmth and the love in his heart. Anyway, back to Acts. So while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what that vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was still pondering this vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. So in his prayer time, he was being attuned to God. He was open to the Spirit, just speaking to him and say, look, Peter, downstairs there's three guys. I want you to go to them and don't even hesitate. And what does he do? Being Peter, he goes uh, straight down to them. And they say, Cornelius the centurion, upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. He couldn't say that no to that, could he? But what did he do? Interestingly, having responded to the vision, something having happened in his heart, it says, so he invited them in to be his guests. Gentiles coming into his house. Not done, but he did it. The next day he rose up and went with them, and some of his brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And there's just a picture there. This is modern Israel. We all know what the West Bank is now, don't we? And you've got Gaza down here, and Jaffa to Caesarea. It was about 14 hours walk if they walked it. And so it actually says that the next day they arrived there, 
And Acts 10.24, on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. I don't know whether there was about the same number as we might have in this side, but just imagine it. There was a lot of people there. Um, gathered together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Not good. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I'm just a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And then he says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he's got the vision. He's understood what the the vision was all about. I shouldn't call anybody common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why did you send for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, so he's praying in the third Jewish time of prayer. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. I like that phrase, because he wasn't expecting this Jew to come to him. He must have half expected that he'd have had a real problem with that. But you've been kind enough to come, Peter. Thank you for coming to my house. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God. You kind of wonder whether they'd already had church in Cornelius's house, whether something had happened and they'd become believers. I don't know. But he said, well, we are here and we're in the presence of God to hear whatever God's told you to say. So Peter opened his mouth. I'm just going to read this out because you just get the gospel here in beautiful simplicity. He tells the story. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, this is new to Peter, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. They'd have all heard about this. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Has anybody here received forgiveness of sins through his name? That's what unites us, isn't it? This is the gospel that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. And then the Holy Spirit interrupts the proceedings. 
I expect he had many more words he had to say. But it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter starts talking about the Olympic-sized baptism pool. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. And so the beautiful story comes to an end with the whole of Cornelius's house, the first Gentiles to have the gospel preached to them and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like the second phase of the birth of the church. It's the second key in the door. So just in finishing this morning, just to kind of help us uh, uh, think about this really for ourselves. Um, I find one of the really encouraging things about Peter is that he remained not perfect. And Bob wanted a series on Peter. I loved it um, because he just showed that Peter was flawed all the way through. So in Galatians 2, this incident happens. You've got Paul um, in Antioch. He's gone out to be a missionary there with all the Gentiles. And then Peter comes along and they're all eating together, all the Gentiles and Jews, uh, all the Gentiles and Peter and Paul together. And he says this, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men from James came, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. So as soon as the Jewish camp turned up, he he just kind of slipped away from the Gentile table and sat with the Jews, which is a very cowardly thing to do, wasn't it? But I've got that in me. I don't know whether you have any of that in you as well. And then this very same James that they were afraid of wrote this. In James 2, chapter uh, verse 3, it says, And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, in other words, somebody comes in here wearing a suit and tie, look very smart, maybe think uh, something a bit presidential about them, um, and you say, you say Sit, you sit here, you come to the front, sit in the good chairs, uh, while you say to this poor man, you stand over there, or you can sit at my feet. There's not much room here. Uh, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, God doesn't want there to be any distinction between us, that we love and honor every person that comes in. And it could be that people come, as we've had people coming in completely plastered, haven't we? Drunk people coming in and sitting in our meeting. We might have people that look strange, people that smell. And yeah, it's true, isn't it? So what do we do? We let somebody else sit by them or do we ask God for grace and we're the one that sits by them? So I said, you know, that I think that, 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 you know, that God has given us a lot of grace as a church, but maybe he's wanting more grace uh, to come and that's why you know, we're talking about this this morning. 
And then in Romans 15, 7, it says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I just want to finish on that point. I remember going to a church in Scunthorpe um, up in Lincolnshire, Sunny Scunny, as some call it. And um, uh, I went to this church, very rare that I get to go to another church. And there was a fantastic welcome committee, um, you know, with kind of leaflets and big smiles. And so I felt very welcome when I went in. But it was a, quite a big church. So when I got in through the door, there was kind of big space between the door and the church. And nobody talked to me. And then when I sat down, I sat down by myself. I felt a bit lonely and left out. And um, and I thought to myself, lesson here for us um, at our church as we then were, um, that we never wanted to be like that. So who's got a welcome badge on, Vicky? I know you have. Could you stand up and show us your welcome lay- lanyard? There we are. V- Vicky, the efficient welcome. But actually... <laughs> We, we should all have an invisible lanyard round our neck, shouldn't we? Um, and sometimes people come in and, uh, I've noticed that, you know, for quite a long time, they sit by themselves. And, uh, you know that there are, if some people saw them, they would probably go straight over and welcome them. But actually, that's all our jobs, isn't it? It says here in Romans, um, what was it? Romans, uh, 15 verse 7 welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us so let's just pray shall we Father we just want to think about how much you have welcomed us Lord we must have smelt quite bad to you Lord um, and uh, you know the uh, reluctance and the sin the secret sin uh, the public sin Father, the um, times when we've just not wanted to pay the price and we've not wanted to share with people. And, Father, so many things, Lord. And yet time and time again, you were always there. Whenever we opened our mouth in prayer and said, Jesus, I'm here, I've messed up, forgive me, Lord. You were always there with your precious blood to wash us, to cleanse us, to encourage us, to fill us again with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to put your arms around us like the Father, putting his arms around the prodigal son. Jesus, we thank you that you were always there. Thank you you've welcomed us, Lord, every time. And Lord, we just want to be like that ourselves more. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you've put in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for the love that there is. Thank you, Father, for the kindness, the many kindnesses that there have been that we have encountered in this church, Lord. But we just say, Lord, could you stretch us? Could you give us a bit more? Just think uh, think for a minute about some of those things, those family things, those bad experiences, um, those people groups that maybe you struggle with those, yeah, the bad things in our hearts, you, you, in our hearts we wish weren't there, but we still struggle with them just the same. Lord, we bring them to you. We just, we, we want to just lower our own white sheet, Lord, and lay it out before you and just put those things on it, Lord, and just say, Lord, would you take these things, Lord, Family things we find so difficult. People who've rejected us, people who've hurt us, uh, 
people who we just can't get on with, people who we think should treat us better. Father, we, we just want to put them all on that sheet, Lord. Just say, Lord, could you help us? Forgive us for being bitter. Forgive us for being unmerciful. Forgive us for being unwelcoming, Lord. Forgive us for closing our hearts, Lord, to anybody. We just pray this day you would do a new thing. Maybe we could just sing that song. We could just sing a cappella. There's plenty of good voices here, aren't there? You can help me, Paula. Barbara, if you want. Anybody? Um, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Um, you know, the, many of you know the words, omnipotent Father of mercy and grace. You're welcome in this place. One or two puzzled expressions. Let's stand, shall we? And as we sing this, let's, let's make this our prayer, uh, for, for, for God moving in us and for this place. Father, I pray that as we sing this, Lord, that you would impart to our heart, Lord, new treasures, new treasures of grace, new treasures of love, new treasures of patience and kindness, Lord. New, new dimensions of welcoming, Father. You would stretch us, Father, we pray. There's no need to rush away. And uh, uh, in the first meeting, people want to just hang around in twos and threes and fours, um, just praying. Maybe uh, we could pray for one another. It says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And maybe somebody here, apart from me, uh, you know, struggles with some things. Um, and they just say, could you just pray for me for this? Um, that's what the church is here for. So feel free to do that.